Hi, I'm Garth Tanner. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. If you never left, are you returning? Russell Ingle may be getting his main game drive he's hoping for. And Dale Wood makes his return to the main game. Christmas, every Christmas seemed to go in being an unhappy man and uh, wondering what we're going to do next year. That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. Taking the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Here is news brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. The driver lineup and car count is clearing up with Dale Woods now confirmed at Brad Jones Racing. Wood talked last year about his plans to return to the top level and how he wouldn't be fooled again. Yeah, I don't know. It was a, it was a rough introduction, and uh, if I know what I if I knew then what I know now, it might be a different situation. Uh, probably wouldn't have taken it up. I would have uh, chipped away at development series and tried to maintain a bit of reputation I had back then. So it's taken a fair while to get back into the position I'm into now. Uh, I'm not about to jump at anything, and uh, I don't know anything stupid or anything uh, sort of shit opportunities, I suppose. Russell Engel is to drive for Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport, which prompts the question: If you never missed a race. Are you really returning to the series? Of course, Ingle last year made his last stand throughout 2013. Jonathan Webb might be looking to have his team, Techno Autosports, run as two cars this year, with them looking to do a deal with Dalberto's racing licence. Webb spoke to the V8 Insiders about his enforced retirement at Sydney. Oh, look, I'm not, I'm not going far, you know. I'm still going to be here all the time. Whether I'm driving full-time, whether I'm driving Enduros, you know, I, I don't know at the moment. And yeah, As I said, I'm not too worried. I'm quite happy the year's been done. As far as I'm concerned, it's been pretty disappointing from a driver's side. As far as the team's concerned, it's definitely finished on a high. Um, but I'm just going to put my feet up, enjoy Christmas, take the break that, uh, you know, the whole team's earned this year and you know, just uh, see what my head tells me at the end of, uh, at the early 2014 and, and put things in place from there. With all the changes that have gone on in the sport, really a lot of the guys haven't been able to have a break. With scaling back, if you do scale back, and uh, obviously the car's going through to next year, that does allow you to, to have some people, have some rest and recharge their batteries. Yeah, as far as techno is concerned, since we built the team, there's been no break. You know, the brakes either been building car of the future. A year before that, it was going from one car to two, including building a new car for me. And it's been just non-stop for the last four years for us, so... It will be nice. We're going to close before Christmas. We're going to run a couple of weeks into uh, into January, so the boys will have a good three or four weeks off. And they said they've well and truly deserved it. You know, the last couple of years, the hard work they put in, and you know, I just hope they can enjoy it. Uh, we'll do the same, and you know, be be fresh and ready to come back and win some races next year. So, when commercially, do you say who's sponsoring cars and that sort of thing? Oh, look, we're fairly comfortable that uh, you know we'll keep keep doing what we're doing as far as Shane's car is concerned. Um, yeah, 
like everything, there's nothing, uh, nothing signed, sealed, and delivered just yet. But you know, we'll uh, we'll go into the break you know, pretty comfortable. That was the story of this year. Nothing signed, sealed, and delivered. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's been the story of Techno the whole way through. You know, we we just been playing by ear, just going with the rolls and punches and everything. And you know, I think we've well and truly punched above our weight the whole time. We're still you know, very young as far as what it, what you look up and down the field. But, you know, we just need to keep moving forward. We've yeah, plateaued a little bit in the middle of the year, but come strong again at the end. And um, I think we can be strong all of next year with Shane leading us front. On this week's White Flag Lap, we hear a fiery conversation about the state of the Dunlop series. But I'm telling you now, half the blokes out there probably wouldn't know where reverse gear was, and we saw that yesterday in the race. And finally, Pertec Endurance Cup driver Greg Murphy has won the opening round of the New Zealand Super Touring Championship. Other main game drivers who normally contest the series are previous V8 Super Touring champion Scott McLaughlin, who was not running due to financial pressures over there on the land of the long white cloud, and Shane Van Gisbergen, who was at Daytona. Van Gisbergen finished 8th in class, with his car hitting the wall with 20 minutes to go in the 24-hour classic. The brakes giving out while his teammate was at the wheel. On this week's roundtable, Mark Fogarty and Richard Crowell will look at the announcements made over the past week and how will Walkinshaw performance lift its way back up to the top of the leaderboard. That's the news on the VAD Insiders, brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. Check out the entire range today at www.nobrac.com.au. That's N-O-B-R-A-C.com.au. And don't forget to look on the newsstands for the latest edition of VADX magazine. It previews the season and also talks about this year's Clipsal, which hits another classic milestone. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week from Auto Action and Fairfax Media, it's 2012 and 2013 Journalist of the Year, Mark Fogarty. Good evening, folks. Hello, Craig, and uh, perhaps a belated Happy New Year to everyone, but Happy New Year nonetheless. And the 2012-2013 broadcaster and commentator from the V8 Media Association, Richard Crowell. Good evening, Richard. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, Mark. I see what you've done here, Craig. You've uh, got a couple of uh, back-to-backs together on your show. Well, that's it. Uh, We want to go for the best and... I can only go by what the peers say. Isn't that right, folks? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, it is the winning double back again, isn't it? Mm. And, of course, I... My memory's so short, I'd forgotten that we <laughs> ended the year together. Sorry, mate. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, also, folks, I don't know if I mentioned it last show, but uh, you are now inducted into the Hall of Fame, and, and uh, I should ask you for some thoughts on 
the other two gentlemen who were inducted with you, Mike Cable and Bill Tucky? Well, far, deserve, far more deserving recipients of that honour than me. Um, both um, were very significant in my uh, formative years, uh, well, even well before I became a journalist, but they had a significant um, impact, particularly the late Mike Cable. He had a direct influence on me getting my start as a cadet journalist at the Australian newspaper, which he was, uh, for which he was the motoring and motorsport writer for many, many years. And Bill Tucky, of course, um, well, where do you start with Bill? I mean, he, his influence as, as a writer, um, as much as anything else, um, was profound in the era of the 60s and 70s. And, of course, um, his accomplishments start, but certainly don't end with having invented the Wheels Car of the Year Award. And, uh, but he was also very much involved in the reporting um, in the 60s and 70s of motorsport and, and often participated in motorsport. In fact, he even competed at, uh, at Bathurst in the Bathurst 500 with, uh, with some distinction as a, as a journo. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very honoured to be uh, included, to be inducted um, alongside them. It's what we see in 2014 shaping up, uh, Richard, because we've got two of the stars of the Dunlop series now confirmed, one in a good mate of yours, Jack Perkins, and the other in Dale Wood. Yeah, uh, positive for the development series drivers that they're getting the opportunity to uh, to get into the main game for, for varying reasons, and it sort of continues that trend because uh, Nick Perkett Back in the championship full-time, he was a, a debut season. Scott McLaughlin, Chaz Mostert, of course, was so brilliant last year. Um, it really adds to that uh, real development series um, and, and its ability to produce talent and do what it's supposed to do and ideally making it into the main game. So I thought Dale Wood did a good job last year. It all came together nicely for him. He was solid in the Big Johnson Racing Ford that he drove in the three enduro races as well um, and all the sponsorships come together for him to jump into Brad Jones Racing the tough ask for him to go into that team against two guys that were right at the front of the field throughout last season in Fabian Coulthard and Jason Bright but uh, it'll be interesting to chart his progress up against the other DBS graduates if you will of, of, if not just this year but last year as well in the likes of McLaughlin and Perkett mm. Now folks that does mean the man who missed that seat when the music stopped was Tony D'Alberto and it seems there might be a lifeline for at least that licence if not for Tony himself My understanding is that he's clinging on for grim death trying to stay in the series although he hasn't as yet registered Um, he missed the deadline the January 1 deadline for registration for the championship Um, he's still trying to put together a deal that will see him in the championship and the most likely outcome looks like. Um, as was speculated some months ago that he would uh, pair up um, with Techno Autosports and uh, run as a second car with them because they're back to, to one car at the moment for Shane Van Gisbergen because the licence they were leasing from Paul Morris was subsequently sold. Ooh, where did it go? I think it was sold to Dick Johnson Racing, wasn't it? Mm. Hard to keep track of the merry-go-round of life of wrecks, but um, Delberto's trying to raise the, in, in simple terms, trying to raise the funding to be able to uh, 
um, to get a, a seat. And um, as I said, Techno Autosports looks like his most likely desi- uh, destination. They have a spare car because um, they're only running one, as I said. Jonathan Webb has stepped back, although he'll probably get an enduro drive. Um, and Delberto, anyway, he needs a car because he sold his car back to Walkinshaw Racing. Yeah, and that was expected because they needed the fourth car and when you've got four cars you really need to have a spare ready to roll too, Richard, because as we've seen, this year took an enormous amount of work for teams when things went wrong to be able to make sure they could front up at the next event. Yeah, and there's a couple of events this year which are fairly close in terms of back-to-back or within a couple of weeks, so it's important that they have those resources. So... It's going to be interesting where it all plays out. I'm, I'm interested to get folks' thoughts, though, Mark, on what you think about the reduction in grid numbers and what the reaction you felt from both within the series and outside of it is, because you never really like to see um, the grids decline and everyone craves for the days when we had bigger fields, but what do you think the reaction's been like from both within the industry and from, from fans you might have spoken to? Well, on one level, it sends out a bad message it says or confirms that you know some teams are struggling and we know that so cutting the car count um, just puts up a flag and, and waves it however among the teams themselves you know to be to be harsh I think most of them would be doing a little jig <laughs> because the reality is they get more money mm. you know yeah at least two or probably or you know or Perhaps three fewer cars on the grid means that um, the end-of-year distribution, essentially of the profits of V8 supercars, such as they've been, um, you know, everyone will get a, a slightly larger slice of the pie. So I don't think any of the existing teams are going to be too, you know, uh, shedding many tears. And from the fans' point of view, uh, really, are we going to miss one Lucas Dumbrell Motorsport entry? Uh, I don't think so. Are we going to miss, well, maybe we won't, but would we miss Tony Delberto, really? Mm, Not so sure. And um, what's the, oh, Dean Fiore. Are we going to miss Dean Fiore? Well, the reality is probably not much, you know. So, you know, to be harsh about it, I don't think it makes a blind bit of difference whether we're running 25 or 26 or 28 cars, or for that matter, when it was back in the days of, you know, it wasn't so long ago we had 30, I think, it peaked at 32 cars. The only place where you really want a really, you know, fat field, sort of NASCAR-like 40-plus cars, I think is Bathurst, but we're never going to see that again, so forget it. I had a, uh, I had a crazy thought, folks, about this whole reducing... One. Well, <laughs> the one I'm sharing with you right now is oh, the okay. one that I'll uh, mark as crazy, and that is for... You want to have more people aspiring to be in the main game and you want to have uh, as many cars as possible on the grid perhaps we could see that the money that was potentially and this is why it's not going to work because the money that potentially would be then divvied up among 25 26 wrecks could then become prize money for any entries that might want to enter on a wild card basis because as many people probably don't realise that no one races for prize money anymore. So there's no incentive, unless you've got a whopping great sponsor, to put a car on the track if you could, um, i.e. wildcard at Bathurst even. 
So I was thinking, take the money of the wrecks that are being handed in and say, all right, this is prize money and anyone who's racing without a wreck, as long as they get themselves a, a legal car, which of course is a difficult endeavour in itself, can come out here and race and you'll be racing for this amount of money at this race, this amount of money at the next race, and uh, boys have at it. Geez, it must be a fun place on... Um in the Craig Revelle universe. You're calling it plastic, you're just thinking it. <laughs> no, you're an idealist and, you know, an optimist, obviously. Um, you know, that money's going to go nowhere but into the pockets <laughs> of the existing team. And Archer Capital. Mm, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, something... Pri posted prize money would be a very good thing. It's something that's been missing for a long, long time. Um, it's still... Um, a big deal in the USA where um, it, you know, it's not as big as it used to be, but you know, still it, the fact remains that in NASCAR and in, even in IndyCar, you know, the guys are running, or the teams at least, are running for substantial amounts of prize money mm. in, you know, in addition to the, the money they're bringing in, in, in backing and sponsorship. But just having big fat numbers up there that people could win I think is always a good look. Um, you know, if you remember... Well, some sports still do, but certainly in tennis and golf, you know, prize money is a big is a big component of the sport, and um, it's part of the lure. And it, you know, it always it looked pretty impressive to me when the winner the winners of the Australian Open, both the men's and the women's champion, you know, pocket a check. Well, what was it? Two point something million dollars. Wow. You know, that's pretty impressive. It's, it's more and, impressive and, and, than yeah, the $1,500 was... for your armor royal pole position. Sorry? It's more impressive than the check for $1,500 for your armor royal pole position. Well, yeah, that's, and let's not that's forget, beer money, isn't it? I mean, and let's not forget it's $750 at Clipsal this year for Saturday because yeah. they've split it again. No, I mean, yeah, that, that's derisory. It's beer money, you know. It's, it's hardly worth noting. If it were serious prize money, there'd be something to race for. So um, I like the idea, but... It just seems to be a, a, a forgotten area of promotion and prize money, and um, the, you know the money that's swirling around, you know, is, is destined for the, the profit pot, not not the prize money pot. I'm afraid. Mm. Richard, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I I agree that prize money is a good thing, and and the, the Americans especially make so much out of it. And even watching the Rolex 24 at the weekend at Daytona, they're talking about the North American Endurance Cup pays a hundred grand to win, and which in U.S. racing terms isn't a lot of money, but um, I guess in sports car racing it's not too bad. So, yeah, I agree with that, and um, I can't really add too much more. I think that, that fairly well covers it. It would be nice to see it, but the reality is that the reduced build is certainly going to help um, everybody else in the pack to get a little bit more of the kitty. And uh, let's be honest, I haven't got too much of it in the last couple of years because uh, the sport hasn't made a huge amount of money in the last couple of years, and that's been the big talking point. So uh, hopefully in the future that will get traversed, and uh, rather than the prize money, the teams can start making themselves a bit more viable and show fewer um, or fewer teams are at risk going into the season because they don't have a big sponsor, but they've got that money coming in from V8 Supercars to help, uh, help run them for the season. Mm. And, of course, a lot of them have been buoyed by the television deal which was announced, uh, well, just before the uh, end of the year. We need to take a break on the V8 Insiders, and I promise, guys, when we get back, 
I'll actually ask some of the questions that I put on the topic sheet for this week. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Mark Fogarty and Richard Crowell join me, Craig Revell. And, uh, well, one interesting story that's floating around is Mark Scaife is weighing up his options, Richard, to uh, take an endurance drive. Now he's not a V8 commissioner anymore. Yes or no for the most capped driver or the most successful driver in V8 supercars and Australian Touring Car Championship history? Is he too far out of it, or should he get back in that car and do it one more time? Um, yeah, good question. Good question. Probably he's been out of it for, what, two years now? Um, I would have thought that probably two years too many out of the seat, I would have thought. Sure, he's probably still fit, he's probably still capable, but uh, would you pick Mark Dave over a Matthias Ekstrom or... Stephen Richards or somebody like that? I don't know. I don't think so. I'd, I'd probably be leading to the negative on uh, on the skating factor. All right, folks, would you put him in your car? No, I wouldn't. Leave it alone. Yep. Stay in retirement. Graceful retirement. It worked well after he quit. You know, he won Phillip Island, he won Bathurst, you know, in, in each of the two years. But to come back now... No. To come back too little, too late. To come back now, if there was a triple eight seat still available. Well, there isn't. So, well, let's not play hypotheticals. Uh, Jeffrey Robinson, I have no fun with you, folks. Um, well, sorry, but no. I, you know, it's past the point of no return. You know, it doesn't matter whether he's commissioner or not. Um, you know, he's he's been out of it long enough. You know. He's old enough now. He's got too many other things on the go. If he could, perhaps, if he could devote himself to it full time, if you know what I mean, um, you know, he certainly would have the ability. But it, he's just simply got too many other things going on. Although, what those too many other things at the moment are, I'm not sure because, from what I saw of his comments, he seems to have, um, you know, sorted out all the things. In, you know, not only the commission, the main job of which was car of the future but you know he's apparently sorted out v8 supercars television and all these other things so he has this nebulous role now with v8 supercars as some sort of um what was it business development advisor or something isn't the job international business manager isn't that the job they give to the people as they're moving them along (laughs) well that's a good point but it just underlines we don't quite know outside doing the tv commentary um what he's doing and um anyway that's my view you know i think he should quit while he's ahead and concentrate on making himself a better a better and even better commentator Mm. all right now folks one race at bathurst that does get a lot of cars is the 12 hour 
is the 12 hour now starting to rival the 1000 obviously in car count it's succeeded and quality of the cars is equal of the 1000 um, across the grid or certainly 30 of the 50 cars but uh, do you think for attention and importance it's starting to get near the 1000 no not at all sorry richard but <laughs> it's not even close not but 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 it is becoming an ever more important event, and it's certainly an important event on the international GT calendar and is only getting stronger. You know, we saw it last year with the, the depth and the breadth of the entry, and, and it's even better this year. So it's certainly um, developing into a major international event. And, you know, further down the track, a lot of years down the track, could it rival the, you know, the, the V8 Bathurst 1000? Probably not, but it'll get a lot closer, and it's certainly a major event. You know what it's lacking still, and what it will lack for some time, and that's the big challenge for the promoters: is big crowds. Simple as that. It's going to be helped because I'm going to ask Richard, who, of course, you're involved in the event and have been now for well since it returned. Is there a prize money checkup for grabs? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, there's the first thing to fix. Uh, there's, a, there's a nice trophy and a winner, Bathurst, um, but that hasn't stopped people from uh, from coming. I, I think it's a different appeal um, that event, Craig, rather than having a big check on the end of it. Uh, this is a chance for people that wouldn't ordinarily have the opportunity to win or even race at Bathurst to do so, uh, and I think that's why we're getting the level of international interest, as, as Bode said, uh, in the race. I agree with everything folks said. And I, I called the first 12-hour race when it came back in 07 and, and everyone since and have been involved in varying ways. Um, it, it's no way near the 1,000. Um, it, it's getting better every year. It's an incremental thing uh, and that's just a, a nature of where the event is at in terms of the budget it's got to throw at things like marketing um, and every year it, it's a word of mouth thing. It grows more and more cars rock up and, and I think gradually that will improve. The crowds are improving a little bit, bit by bit every year and I think ticket sales off the top of my head early this year are up for, for a percentage on what they were last year. So as long as it keeps doing that, I think it will find its niche. My personal opinion is I don't think it will ever challenge the 1000 as a major race at Bathurst, but I think it can become a major event like Mark said and have a good crowd now, whatever you define good crowd is, personally, I'd like to see there be 20,000 people there on each of the three days camping for all the whole three days and turn it into a, a Nürburgring-style sort of festival where everyone stays at the track camps, campfires, the whole thing. I think that would be brilliant, rather than having 50,000 people rock up on the Sunday. But I think gradually it will grow, it will evolve, and, and it'll be a really cool international event that Australia's got. We don't have that many of them, remember, with international cars and drivers, so... I think that's where its great strength lies. No, it is a fantastic event. You know, it's contested by, you know, well, cars that we would describe as exotic, but they're fabulous racing machines. Um, you know, the, the the field includes some of the best drivers in from from touring cars, come GT cars across and sports cars across the world. And um, Richard said, you know, twenty thousand would be. A great figure, and that was exactly the figure going through my mind. I think that would be an excellent result. But, and, I mean, and it must be pretty good for the city of Bathurst already, because my understanding at the mm. moment, 
you might know more about this, Richard, but as far as I'm led to believe, you can't get a room in Bathurst or the surrounding areas for love nor money now, leading, you know, what are we, a little less than two weeks out from the event. Well, Richard will like, to, like this because uh, Peter Norton and myself are that hardcore, we're camping. Bugger this, oh, bugger this hotel stuff, good. we're camping. Yeah, gritty, gritty fans, I love it. Um, yeah, I think Friday night and Saturday night are, um, uh, are packed out in Bathurst and, and I think Orange is close to full and some of the surrounding towns. And, and that's why the region love it. It's a different kind of a different kind of event to the 1000. And um, the New South Wales government is quite behind it, mainly because of the international appeal that it carries. And it, it probably pushes to a different sort of part of Europe that maybe the V8s do. And um, it does create a, a bit of buzz in, uh, in Europe and America as well for New South Wales. So the government's very fond of it, and, and they're slowly but surely increasing their involvement as well. So... Yeah, it's a cool thing. It's going to be a ripper race this year too, mate. It's going to be uh, going to be pretty good. Well, we're it, gonna... will, it will also have a pretty strong V8 flavour as well. I mean, yeah. Craig Lowndes, Will Davison, and several other V8 drivers um, off the top of my head: Lee Holdsworth, Tim Slade, Jason Bright, Rick, Rick Kelly. You Rick. probably know the whole list, but there's plenty of them. Mm. Yeah, Rick, Rick Kelly, Steve Richards. It's the first time they've had a, a reigning Bathurst champion there since Craig. Did it a couple of years ago, and um, yeah, Rick Belly and the, the Nissan. That's another cool, cool story that Nissan Motorsport are actively involved in it, like they are in V8s and really pushing their DTR involvement. But that, that's where its strength is, and, and the manufacturers as well quite enjoy it. Audi still have a, a quite large corporate presence, despite not having a factory team. They're still quite involved, and it's a, a way they can have a major race on the mountain that's, that's not the 1000. Mm. All right, we need to get through the last couple of uh, questions I scheduled, uh, Richard. HRT, their new engineering team, are they going to be able to do much before the start of this uh, new year? Oh, I think they'll, they'll pick up where they left off last year, Craig. They had pretty competitive cars towards the end of last season and they, they, they were very inconsistent. So I think if they get their consistency right, they should be better off turning in performances like they did at Townsville and a couple of other races where GT and, and James Courtney were strong and the addition of the extra car will be interesting to watch as well. I don't think they're going to be winning every race, but I think that if they continue their process and um, some new faces in there might bring some new ideas, I'm, I'm pretty certain they're going to be as competitive, if not better, this year. What about you, folks? Well, their engineering lineup is certainly stronger than it has been for the past few, or maybe even several years. Um, they've brought in some people, they've brought back some people, most notably um, Matt Nelson, Teco, um, he's come back into the fold. Um, the Probably not a lot they can do in the short term, but certainly, you know, it's a much deeper and more capable engineering force that'll be working on the cars. And, and this is right across the Walkinshaw Racing um, Empire, if you like. You know, we're, we're talking about Holden Racing Team, but there are two other cars that Walkinshaw Racing is running. So um, there's a lot more depth in the engineering team. They've, as I said, they've brought back people uh, and they've brought people in from other teams. But, you know, the, the, the big change is the replacement of Steve Hallam with Adrian Burgess. And, you know, that's a big boost, if only psychologically. I mean, whether Adrian is going to be a better manager, he'll be more decisive than Steve Hallam. Um, if Steve Hallam had a, had a fault, it was the fact that he wasn't, you know, the quickest mover um, in the sport. But his methodical approach has certainly, definitely established a very strong base 
for HRT's recovery, rebirth, whatever you want to call it. And Adrian Burgess is, um, as he's proved at Dick Johnson Racing, then and then again at Triple Eight Race Engineering. You know, is a, a superb team team manager, really. But well, he's more than that. He's less than a team principal, but he's more than a team manager. So certainly, in terms of organisation, he'll build on the very strong base of systems and processes that was established by Hallam, and uh, they'll be a much more organised, much more confident team going forward. And they will be more successful this year. They have to be. There's no choice. You know, they've had a, they've had enough latitude in the last few years. They, they, they've got to get on with it and get back to be a, a genuine and consistent rival to Triple Eight and Ford Performance Racing. I hope he's going to be uh, at least equal to a team principal because that's his role, Richard. Well, yeah, and he's right. I think um, I, I think people, some people and perhaps a lot of Holden Racing Team fans would expect them. Adrian Burgess to slide in and be a, a magic bullet that fixes the team and gets them back. But I, I agree completely with what folks said, that it, it, it's not going to be like that, but certainly the organisation side of the, the equation will be improved. And um, the, the basics are there. And they did a good job on occasion last year. The, the trick is turning that into being a, uh, a regular contender and having regularly quick cars rather than have them pop up every now and then and win races. So that, that's the biggest struggle for this season. And Maybe the addition of um, the addition of an extra car and strengthening up the Walkinshaw side and the non-HRT side as well um, will also help with mm. yeah, right. the only danger, mm. guys, is that they stretch themselves too thin. Mm. You yeah. know, we, we saw they ran four cars a few years ago. You remember? Yeah, but and they it, it ran was, two cars without without it, putting any money in it. It was the beginning of the end. Well, Ed Bundaberg. Yeah. Um, uh, Pretty good sponsor. Yeah. I'd like to see them back. I don't think the cars that Dave Reynolds and then Andrew uh, Thompson were in were anywhere near the HRT cars. You may be right, mm. but that's because the organisation was stretched thin. Yeah. That's still the danger. And they have to... Well, it's a dilemma for them, whatever happens. You know, if suddenly the super cheap auto car with Tim Slade behind the wheel now and also Nick Perkett in the... Uh, we don't know yet who the major sponsor of that is, but mm. you know, Coates Hire will be a big backer there. Um, the dilemma is, you know, if they're too competitive and they undermine HRT, you know, what do we do? Because HRT is supposed to be the big Kahuna. Holden, Motors- mm. Holden Motorsport won't be too happy if it's getting beaten by the B team. Um, you know, they went through that drama back in the HSV dealer team days, and you know, look at the chaos that caused. That, mm. You know, that that was part of the rise of HRT when they gutted the HSV dealer team and plopped all these people into HRT and caused a huge amount of dislocation and it all just ran off the rails. Mm. Folks, finally, uh, Volvo's first year, will it be more successful than Erebus and Nissan's? I'd probably think so, um, just because Gary Rogers Motorsport has has a year under their belt with, you know, with Car of the Future and they were pretty competitive. So, you know, the underlying basics are there. They should know what they're doing. They should have somewhat better backing. But the big problem is going to be the engine. You know, will that um, unusual engine that they're running, which is um, a 5-litre version of the 4.4-litre Yamaha-designed V8, which is a narrow-angle V8, 60 degrees rather than 90 degrees, quite tall, although I've seen it in the car and it fits snugly, um, but as Nissan found, adapting 
a production-based engine, despite all the double overhead cam and multi-valve bells and whistles, um, is difficult against the entrenched 20-year-old technology of the Holden and the Chev engines. Well, well so, I think you say 60-year-old technology of the Holden and the Ford well, engine. If you really want to take it right back, but I'm just saying, less, you know, in this category, it's 20 solid years of development, um, and then some, you're right. Um, but getting the engine right is going to be the problem, so um, we'll see how good Polestar is. But outside of that, um, the Gary Rogers-Volvo matchup, you know, should be better prepared and, and should be a little more competitive. But um, So better than last, the Nissan and Erebus AMG achieved last year. They should. Will they be as competitive as Nissan and Erebus AMG this year? Mm, debatable, probably not. Mm. Richard, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think the other question mark is over... Well, the other questions could be what will Robert Dahlgren be like relative to Alex Pramat was and Mauro Engel was because it comes from a similar sort of a background, a GT background, uh, touring background in, in Europe. Um, you know, will having the international driver there and will that hold them back uh, in development or, like they say, will it spur them on? And, and Volvo like him because he's so... Um, he's so good apparently at, at developing racing cars and there's no reason to doubt that um, it'll be interesting that's probably the, the big question mark I've got Scott McLaughlin we know it's fast uh, it'll be interesting to see what he's like at developing uh, the engine and the drive line that, that they're bringing in but they know the chassis as Mark said they know that the car is fundamentally good um, and that's the beauty of the car of the future is that they're, they're putting a new body and a new engine into a chassis that they've already got set up so that, that's one less thing they do. So to answer the question, yeah, I think they probably will be initially if the engine's sort of 90% there, mainly because they'll just unload with the car that they don't have to worry about developing the chassis. They just have to focus on the engine. Um, if they get get that right, well, then uh, they'll go okay. Mm. The appointment of Dahlgren as Scott McLaughlin's teammate is a very interesting one. It's yet another left-field decision, a risk, a big risk by Gary Rogers, most of his risks seemed to pay off. It didn't with Alex Pramar. But Dahlgren has an interesting and, and a crucial pedigree in that very much like, well, his former rivals in, in junior open-wheeler formulas, um, James Courtney and Will Davison. You know, he, he is a an open-wheeler driver first, but then graduated into a very competent um, touring car driver. So he's actually used to racing tin tops. Um, of a different kind, but, you know, as we saw uh, and we have seen, Courtney and Davison have adapted perfectly from their open-wheel backgrounds, um, and in Courtney's case it was, um, what was he doing? Super GT, wasn't it? Mm, yes. In, in Japan. Yep. So, you know, it can be done. Um, Pramar and Engel were bad examples of importing drivers, you know, but they were up against it right from the start. And Primo, you could argue, probably, you know, had he got another year, he probably, you know, would have been there because he certainly was showing pace last year. He was just very inconsistent. Engel was doomed from the start. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. And it was, you know, it was very unfortunate because he's a, a very intelligent, very capable driver and he's certainly a, um, an interesting personality and he deserved better. But, you know, anyway. The big, the big thing is that they had the choice of Will Davison or going with 
uh, going with their man and they've decided to go with their man I guess uh, we're not going to know the full story of how far along they got getting Who had Will the choice to the of car. Will Davison? Uh, Gary, well, Gary Rogers Volvo. No. Mm, okay. Never. All right. Well, okay. Mm. There, there probably were pre very preliminary discussions some months ago, but I can assure you, you know, once Will Davison saw the colour of Gary Rogers' money, that was the end of that conversation, I'll tell you. Yes. <laughs> never. It's <laughs> never going to be a starter. And you know one of the bonuses of Gary Rogers is the uh, driver gets to sweep the workshop. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it'll be interesting to see whether Robert Dahlgren has to do that. <laughs> probably, probably not, but you never know. Folks, pleasure to have you on the show once again. Yes. Thank you, Craig. I'll let Richard, you... good to talk to you, and we'll see you at the mountain in just a very short while. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Mark. Uh, should be good, and thanks to you, Craig. No worries at all. The White Flag Lab is up next here on the Vat Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. You watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lab, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we hear from... Well, one of the more interesting press conferences for the Dunlop series of 2013. Now, we know that two of the drivers in this discussion are going to be main game drivers next year. So here's what Dale Wood, Jack Perkins, Steve Owen and Taz Douglas were thinking when I asked them their thoughts on the changes to the race format for the Dunlop series. Um, I mean, looking at it on paper, it certainly it looks good. The frustration is at the moment, I think we've had this discussion before, is the amount of money we pay versus the uh, amount of racing laps we get. Is uh, I think, yeah, you, if you go away and do it, you'd be pretty blown away. I mean, today was a good example of that. But it's a catch-22 because this year has been the best year we've ever seen for TV. We've had live coverage. We've had post-race post um, coverage as well. So it's, uh, it's certainly good like that. It's just that frustrating thing. Personally, I think what needs to happen is people need to come down harder on driver standards. <clears throat> um, I don't know how to put this the right way, but it often you see some stuff going on down the back. Um, when we came around lap two today, we saw some of those um, typical sort of guys that, down the back and, and some cars smashed up. And I don't know if that's a matter of... If we up the entry fee... My, my sort of view is if we up the entry fee and we could have a corporate facility like Porsche do and all that sort of thing, it's going to be bloody hard because it's going to knock a few guys out down the back. Um, it's going to make it a more professional category but maybe and then i don't know maybe that eliminate some of the driver standard issues we have and uh, some of these accidents we have and then we'd be able to race for a bit longer it's i don't know it's not an easy one to fix anyway but i think next year looks pretty good um i'd say i don't know i don't know how to fix that like there, there's you can't there's you guys down the back who have three four five seconds maybe more off the pace and it's pretty ridiculous when you come around and qualify and practice and they can't look in their mirrors, you know. They, they, there needs to maybe be a standard of driving that now that you need to be up to to, to race in this category because you come around on some guys and they, they seriously can't look in their mirror. They're that busy, obviously that busy, they can't handle what's going on out there and it's, it's dangerous. And you, got to, you, you come around in qualifying and there's guys like Dale and, you know, us who are... We're, 
on the edge going for, for P1 and there's old mate just, you know, dawdling through buddies somewhere and you go, oh, here we go, I've just lost some green tyre run. I know qualifying this weekend, I, did, I was P20 until the very last lap. I got a, a lap. All the rest were red flags, people in the fence, something. And, you know, like it can... It, yeah, it can ruin people's weekends who are actually going for the championship. But in saying that, there isn't a rule saying they can't be here, and it's, you know, that's the way it is. You you can't exclude somebody from racing. So I don't know what to do to fix it. You just press on, and if they're in the way, you just go, oh, well, never mind, get the next lap. That probably doesn't answer your question about the next year format, but it's there's a, there's a whole lot of things I think that need to be sorted out there. Next year's for oh well that can be included, but next year's format. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's good. Longer races, awesome. Yep, perfect. Two qualifiers, longer races, non-top ten reverse. Makes sense. It sounds like they've actually asked someone for a change and said, what should we do here? Because it just seems like they don't ask anyone. And I had exactly what Taz was talking about. I crashed into a young bloke in qualifying who's, I'm sure, a great driver, but to bring a young bloke here first time in his first ever supercar race, like, someone didn't think that out, you know. So uh, all those little things, what Dale said about the corporate stuff is, you know, the money that we have is huge considering in the whole scheme of things to pay a little bit more. I mean, you can't bring sponsors to an old chook shed, you know. It's just not what uh, people who are dropping 400 grand are going to want to do. So all those sort of little things, the two race formats obviously going to be better, the dual qualifying, because at the moment, if you have what happened to me, early in the year where your drink bottle comes loose and turns the car off, you may as well just pack up and go home Friday because you've got three races to start from the back. So, And that ruins championships. So sounds like they're actually sort of getting in the right direction, but uh, I think they should just get the team owners together and even talk to the drivers and the sponsors and say, hey, hey, how can we make this better? And it doesn't appear that they do that very often. First read it, I thought it was pretty good, but then I didn't. I missed the bit that they actually kept a few reverse grid races in there, and without supercars and reverse grids, I think we're a bit beyond all that stuff. If you want reverse grids, go race utes or tender vehicles, as Taz calls them. Craig's only got about eight more questions on this topic. Jack, you thought the car count here was going to be in an English uh, sort of run-scoring number. Were you surprised, firstly, when we saw so many guys coming back in after Bathurst? I didn't think that, no. We just made the impression that we are all trying to get to Bathurst. I didn't say that we wouldn't try and come here. I mean, I only booked flights to come here Tuesday night, so I wasn't really coming until then. And, it, you, I mean, you don't really understand how hard it is to get someone to put money in your account to go and go car racing. You know, we're talking the average wage of an Australian worker is 35 grand. You know, and that's the sort of shit you need for the, to do a weekend of this stuff. So it's pretty hard to get that money together. And like I said, I wasn't booking flights until I was pretty confident I was coming. So, oh yeah, I, I didn't just pack up and swipe this off the calendar. And I didn't suggest no one would be here. I said my priority was to pour every dollar I could to get myself to Bathurst. And if that meant I couldn't come here, well, then I'd be at home on the t- watching on the TV. One of you guys have Christmas gurus sit down and do some uh, book of one-liners of Jack Perkins because I reckon it'd sell top-notch. Jack, um, just expanding on Dale's thoughts about the uh, ex- increasing the entry fee to, in the hope of uh, improving driving standards. For, for someone who's been doing last-minute deals, are you opposed to that idea? Uh, I'm, I don't know. I'd have to have a bit of a think about it to, to sort of specifically say that's the right thing. In terms of driving standards, the way the licensing system works in Australia is you do four races to get off your P's and you can go buy a V8 supercar and you're racing here. 
So do you think that that's fair enough if you've never driven anything before, if it's your first year of car race and you've done four races in a Formula V at Malala and you rock up here in a 650-horsepower Vad supercar? That's where the problem would probably lie. Now, whether in, in, entry fees will change that, the price of car, GST, Labor government, I don't know. But <laughs> I'm telling you now, half the blokes out there probably wouldn't know where reverse gear was, and we saw that yesterday in the race. You know, maybe there's some little things you need to tick off before you come and race a V8 supercar. So, yeah, I'd have to have a think about it, and if V8 supercars paid me, I'd give them a page of paper to improve it. But until then, I won't really go into it. In the scheme of things, though, what I'm saying is... I'm not talking, uh, I'm sort of talking three grand, maybe three grand extra around, which is not a whole lot when you're talking, people, guys are trying to raise 35 to 50 grand around, and it's giving, it's giving a nice place where we can bring our sponsors and uh, make them feel a bit warm and fuzzy. So I don't think it's, um, it's a massive amount. Now, three grand is Aaron McGill's budget per weekend, maybe per two weekends, I don't know. So I, I don't want it's, to, it's harsh to say, but quite often they're the guys that are causing the dramas, and... It might be sad if it eliminates them, but go and do Kumo Series or go and do something else that you can afford, not a, not a, you know, effectively number two category in Australia. I think Car of the Future should sort most of that out. When Car of the Future comes in, they were down to five cars anyway, so those guys won't be able to afford to buy one, so... <clears throat> what about uh, in the interim till Car of the Future comes in? Could you look at... It's a V8 supercar weekend for the most part. Could you look at saying... Top half of the field goes into the main championship race, split the others off and let them have their own race. They can be timed certain races and you guys, you run the distance, V8 runs the distance, and if you get in the car count that you can sensibly split it, have you guys running in a, in a professional and then a privateer-type split? We're just hypothesising or whatever the term is, aren't we, though? It's, it's opening a can of worms. I don't think we're going to solve it. Right here, right but now. would you like that as a possible solution? Yeah, the, the main game races are time certain too. It's got nothing to do with anything. It's the TV deal that makes it time certain. So the fact that the V8 supercar race is starting in five minutes or whatever is why we are time certain. So I don't see how that's going to change it. I think maybe if they um, change that uh, qualifying rule, the 107% or 10% or whatever it is, just make it like if you're two and a half seconds off, you're out or you're two seconds off or whatever, you're out. Because normally we're all within... The guys who actually know what they're doing are within, you know, a second and a half, I'd say. Um, and the guys who are useless are sort of two seconds and plus. So just do that. And then it eliminates the people who are slow, but you still have that drama in qualifying. So I don't know how to fix that. <laughs> I'll think about it. It was a fantastic conversation to be part of. That's all we have time for this week on the show. Let's check it like waves over another edition of the Bad Insiders. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders, only on v8x.com.au.